My message today that God has put in my heart, it's titled, Leave the Nest. So if you're taking notes, which you should be, um, write that down in your notes. Leave the nest. Leave the nest. And, and you'll see exactly what I mean by, by the title of this message, Leave the Nest, and why it's titled, um, Leave the Nest. There's a passage in Scripture. I'm going to talk with you guys today. Uh, passage in Deuteronomy. Um, in chapter 32, especially verses 11 and 12, it begins to speak of this eagle and her baby eagles. Um, what are the eaglets? I always say that word wrong. Can someone help me with my English? Did I say it right? Okay. Eaglets, let's call them. And it talks about this mother eagle with her eaglets in her nest, and it talks about how she stirs up her nest. Sometimes we... We read that passage of scripture, and, and we don't really know what it's saying there, but what it's talking about is it's, it's, it's an eagle, which as it stirs the nest up, it's relating it now to how God deals with his people. And let me explain to you what I mean, how there are times in our lives where God might have to stir up the nest just like an eagle does, and he does this to lead his people out. For example, uh, the children of Israel were once in bondage for, in Egypt for over 400 years. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's a lot of years to be slaves. And, G, uh, and God, in the Old Testament, we see, had to walk into this very harsh environment in Egypt and basically stir the nest. And the way he stirred that nest was through a man named Moses. And that stirring brought forth an amazing redemption story. It's an amazing salvation story of how Moses led millions of people out of Egypt, out of bondage, into freedom eventually um, before, before getting into the wilderness. There was a stirring that took place there. Eagles do the same thing with their eaglets. You know, the life of an eagle, you might look at that and say, man, you know, they push these babies out and there's a danger behind that. It seems kind of radical to me. And you might experience that. I'm a dude that I like to watch like National Geographic and History Channel and I'll watch those things all day if there's, you know, I just like all that. Um, I like history stuff. I'll watch stuff about things that have gone on in different wars and I, and I just like all that. It kind of, it's cool. Like I'm one of those guys that if we go on, uh, um, on tour somewhere, we take a vacation together, like I'm one of the very few guys that says, I want to go to all the museums. I'm cool with that. I want to walk and see all the artifacts. I'm cool with that. And, and I just like that stuff, right? And if I were to watch one of, I don't even know why I mentioned all that, but if I were to watch one of those episodes, this is where I get carried away, come back, um, one of those episodes, and I see this mother eagle pushing her eaglet, eaglets out, and I see the, that they're not ready, at least what it seems to me, I'm going to be like, yo, this is pretty sad, and, and I kind of want to jump into the TV and save them, and this is pretty radical to me. See, unless these eaglets are pushed out, they will never know what their potential is. I don't know if you know that. They will never understand what the wings that have been given to them are purposed for. The reason why they were given these wings. You get me? And, and, and Mother Eagle understands this. So Mother Eagle needs to radically stir up the nest because she understands that it, it's very important for her babies to live according to their potential. So that they could reach and so that they could fulfill the destiny that was before them. And for some of them is, it's fly and start a family on your own. Build your own nest, get your own children, and do everything that I've done for you now with someone else. Kind of like us, in a way. And, and, and you could relate that, and you could see this life of an eagle, and we could relate to these 
eagle, the mother, and the eaglets, and where we are surrounded by a nest. And maybe today you are surrounded by some nest. And it is a nest of what you know, of what you're accustomed to. Of, it's a nest that makes you feel safe. You guys know what I'm talking about? And you've built up this nest throughout your years. Some of you I feel very bad for because you didn't even have the opportunity to build up your own nest. You're still living in a nest that your family has built for you and you're still comfortable in that nest. And you're 40, 50, late 20s, 30s. And you're in your nest. And, and don't worry about it. I'm not going to come hard at you and say, you know, mean things to you. I'm just going to try to help you today in the Word of God. But we can relate to them. And it's a place where I feel safe here, God. It's a place where I know, God. It's a place where I understand and people understand me here, God. And today as we get into this um, idea of leaving the nest, if the Lord begins to stir your heart and your nest today, I really hope that you recognize it where you're at. And the truth is I want you to know this. It could be radical. It could be very radical. Being pushed out is very radical. Um, but I want you to know this, that if these eaglets were never pushed out, they'd never learn to fly, and they would never be able to fulfill their destiny. And in your life, if God doesn't stir your nest at times, maybe he's trying to tell us something that says, if I don't do this, you'll never be able to fly, soar, and fulfill your destiny. How many of you say amen? The children of Israel had a destiny, but their nest their nest kept them placed. I'm going to give you a perfect example. Every morning, bread from heaven was given to them. Did you guys know that? Every morning, bread's, heaven's bread, heaven's breakfast was given to them. At night, fire, during the day, a cloud would lead them. I mean, they had it all, right? One day, they're just so upset. They're complaining, and they say, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Watch what they said. We were better where we were at in Egypt, you should have left us there. Do you want to know what that voice is? It's the voice of one who has grown accustomed to their nest. And it was a struggle for them to leave the nest, even though it was a bad nest of bondage. It's because it's a place where they found where it was normal to them, what they were accustomed to, and nothing in them wanted to receive a freedom from that nest. And they told Moses, I know we're free now, but can you take us back to the nest which we were bound to for 400 years? And Moses is so frustrated with them, like, what are you saying? Did you see this fire in Egypt? Did you see this bread in Egypt? Have you checked the bottom of your shoes? Did you have that in Egypt? Your shoes haven't even worn out. You're experiencing things outside of your nest, in your destiny, in your potential that you would have never experienced inside of your nest. Man, but yet they wanted to go back to their nest. Amen? In Hebrews chapter 5, the author of Hebrews, and, and, and forgive me if I've mentioned this in weeks past, but I'm going to read it to you again. And I'm going to read verse 12, 13, and 14. And from this translation, watch what it says, and then I'm going to break down three things that I learned from this passage. Ready? Say ready. All right, good. We're ready. In verse 12, it says, you have been believers for so long now. Look what it says next. That you should now be what? You should be teaching others. If, you're, if you have notes, you could underline that. Um, if you write on your Bibles, you could underline that, circle that. If you have notes, write that. I'm a believer for so long, I should now be teaching others. And then it says this. He says, instead, now you need someone to teach you. But watch what he says now. You need someone to teach you what? <laughs> Again. 
That you already taught that, but you still want someone to teach you again. And what is it? The basic things about God's word. He says this, you're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. And then he says in verse 14, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Does everyone see that? I read this passage, and I read 12, 13, and 14, and I recognize something here. There is such an importance to growth. Did you see that there? Like God is like saying this, ready? If you're not growing, there's a big problem. And that's what he's starting the church. You were never called to remain, to stay, to maintain where you're at. You need to what, church? You need to, yes, grow. And, and that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. It, it's time to grow. Ready? Again. You need to grow. I read this passage and I recognize, listen, I need to want to grow. I need to discipline myself to grow, correct? Uh, it's like an athlete. They're going to, perfect. Olympics just passed. And, and I think yesterday was the last day. I might be wrong. But the Olympics have passed or is passing. And as the Olympics just took place in Russia, it's so important. Like, those guys didn't just wake up a month ago and say, I have a good idea. I'm going to compete in Russia this, uh, next week. Uh, doesn't make sense. They, they, they needed to go through a training, through a discipline for four years beforehand to prepare them to compete against the world's best in whatever it was that they were going to compete in. Listen. If they would have never grown in their skill, when they would have reached the destiny that was called for them, they would have been humiliated because they did not go through the process of training, of growth, of development to get them to the place where God wanted them to get to, and they would have failed and faltered and been a, a shame to many. But that's not what they do. They go for years training and fighting and crying and beating their bodies to get to a place, a destiny. Where there, they could glorify everything that they've done in the secret. It kind of reminds me of a believer who lives in life and at times lives in this valley like I just prayed. But our goal is on that mountaintop to reach our eternity. And there I will receive the glory of all the work that I've put on down here in these years. There's a growth that needs to take place. There's a process in the life of a believer. And the book of Hebrews is teaching us this. Growth is so important for yourselves it's not for the person next to you to help you grow it's not for the guy that's preaching up there on that little platform to help you grow it's not for that church to help you grow listen the author of hebrews is you drink milk no one drinks it for you you eat solid food no one eats it for you you grow you grow on your own there amen there's three things that I learned about Hebrews, and it's teaching us that is vital for a growing, mature believer. Number one, verse 12 shows us this. Hey, you've been a believer for so long, so now you need to what? Teach others. Point number one is a mature believer should get to a place where, number one, they're teaching others. That's where the whole discipleship comes in. Who are you reaching? Who are you training? Who's under your wings? What are you showing them? And that is so important for a believer. 
because this is what I've done for many years, and this is probably what many of you have been doing for many years. You sit in a congregation of people, but you think it's the church's job to disciple the person, and you're right. It is the church's job, but the church is not a building. The church are the people that are inside of the building, and it's their job to disciple the people that God are calling. So you're right. It's not new life's job to disciple the people. It's the church that's within new life who needs to teach the people. So point number one is, if you come into maturity with Christ Jesus, point number one is, who are you teaching next? Who are you reaching? And we see that in verse 12. And then we jump into verse 13, and the New King James Version says it this way. It says, a mature believer, they are skilled, but skilled in what? Skilled in the word of righteousness. The NLT says, learns to do what is right and wrong. I like how the New King James says it, because it mentions the word skilled. When you go through a growth process, there's this skill that is in you, and you're skilled now in this word. And the word is the word of righteousness. It's not the word of wrong, it's the word of right. And when you are skilled in the word of righteousness, if you study the scriptures, then you get to learn, you get to discern what is good and evil. You get to learn what is of God and not of God. You get to learn what are the gifts of the Spirit and the gifts of Satan. You get to learn what is of light and what is of darkness. But the reason why many are in trickery are always defaulting, why many are always wavering, and many are bouncing from church to church to church to find the perfect place, it's because they need to get to a place of maturity and growth where they are mature in the true word of God, the word of righteousness. And I need you to see this in Hebrews 5. Mature believers say yay. And everyone says yay. He says, all right, check this out. Three things that show me that you're mature. Ready? Number one, you teach others. Okay. Number two, you are skilled in God's word, the word of righteousness. Okay. How are you doing? Not that good. Then we got to grow in maturity. Then we got to learn. Then we got to shape ourselves up. So, So where do I start? Watch this. Wake up an hour earlier. Open up your Bible. That's where you start. Oh, so you mean I don't have to take a class? What class can I give you? You're going to come over here and I'm going to tell you, start waking up early. Start going to sleep later. Start setting up lunchtime. Start setting up time that you can get into the Word of God. I can't give you growth in the Word of God other than the stuff that we already teach you every single Sunday. And even on midweek, you need to get to a place where you desire and long and hunger and thirst for the water, for the milk, and for the honey of God. It's got to come from you. You gotta discipline yourself in growth. The mature believer not only teaches others and skilled in the word of God, but number three, verse 14, he says this, ready? Now this train to skill, watch this. This training now, it's to give you this skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. The new King James says, now you become a discerner of what is good and what is evil. NLT, recognize the difference between right and wrong. Many of us cannot discern a watermelon from an orange. We can't. And, and, and the truth is, Hebrews is teaching us, mature, grow. So let's jump into, that was my introduction. Now let's get into the word. See, as I look at Hebrews, I recognize that many never get to this place in their lives. Because they grow to the size of their nest. Catch me. Let me make it in a way that you'll understand even better. Ready? It's like fish in a tank. You put them in a small tank, they grow to the size of their tank. But you put them in a bigger tank, they grow even bigger to the size of that tank. And the greater the tank, the greater the fish becomes, the larger he becomes. The smaller the tank, if you don't believe me, go after church, buy a tank with some fish, and you'll see what I'm saying. They can't outgrow that tank because that's all they know. 
And so many people live their lives according to the size of their tank, according to the size of their nest. They, they never reach their God-given potential. Do you, do you recognize what I'm saying here? And the truth is I've seen this, and I'm not offending no one, but everyone's different. So the reason why you might do this is not the reason why the people that I'm talking about do this. So this is not you. But if it is you, then you've got to deal with it. But it's not you. If it's not you, then don't get offended. Do not meet me after service today. But the truth is I've seen people that are in their mid-30s, their mid-30s, but they're still living like in their, in their late teens. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or should I stop right there? They still say the same things, act the same way, go to the same places, and you're like, when are you going to grow up? Like, I'm having a blast. No, you're just never going to grow up. Some of these people who are in their late or mid-30s, they're still with mom or with dad or with both, with the parents. They still do the same things, think the same way, and you're like, come on, can you flap your wings? Can you get out? But they're still stuck. They're stuck in their nest. They're stuck in their tank. And a lot of times when you're that person, you know who's to blame? You start to blame everyone. It's everyone's fault. But the truth is, you just need to get pushed out. Flap your wings. You, never know, you don't even understand and recognize the potential you have to get you to a destiny that God has designed for you. And then here's that frustrated person, but then there's another group of people. And they've flown out of their nest. And, and this, you might relate to this. Ready? They've grown from their tank. And yet there's another person who has stayed the same and they remained in their environment with the same old safeties and they make themselves believe that everything is okay, but in reality it's not. And here's my first point. What this has become in that person's life is, and write this down, it has become a life of complacency. I'm going to talk about that today. Complacency. Everyone moved on. Everyone has families. Everyone has kids. Everyone got a career. Everyone seems to, to be moving. How come I'm still here? And you're almost like waving them down, said, um, you've been too comfortable for too long now. Stretch out. Flap your wings. Try Jesus. You'll never see what, you'll never, you will just be wild when you see what he could do in your life. But we stay, no, 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 I'm safe here, I'm comfortable here. Look how Webster's describes the, um, complacency, ready? A feeling of being satisfied with how things are and not wanting to try to make them better. If that's you quietly on your paper there, rebuke yourself if that's you. Just put, I rebuke me. A feeling of being satisfied. Are you satisfied with how things are? Really? Don't say yes. Because <laughs> I'm going to be like, no, you're not supposed to say that. Or, or are you at a place where you say, things are pretty good right now, but I want to make these things that are good even better. I want to make the marriage better. I want to make my career better. I want to make my workplace better. I want to make my family better. I want to make this church better. I want to make me better. How many of you want that deep down inside of you? Or are you just satisfied with saying, eh, I'm pretty satisfied with where I'm at. I'm good. Or do you want better? And I believe a lot of believers live this way. They're, they're just satisfied with where they are at. We're, we're good with our family. We're good with our jobs. We're good with our homes. We're good with the church that we go to. Hey, we're satisfied. But then I look at you and I say, well, there's Scripture. When you look at the passages of Scripture, the truth of Scripture, there's even greater things for us. But, but we're good. But we're satisfied. And we might say things like, why would I want to even try to make things better? And I'm like, because the Bible says so. The Bible says there's better for us. 
And, and the truth is, church, I'm scared of complacency. Let me tell you why I'm scared of complacency, because I see this in my life when I'm complacent. And, man, talking to you today is not a man who has not been complacent and maybe is dealing with complacency in certain areas of his life today. Okay? I will never preach a gospel to you that was not first for me. If not, I'm the first hypocrite in this room. How many hypocrites we got today? Wow, the first church that allows that. How many hypocrites today? God bless you, a church of hypocrites. Let's keep growing. Here we go. <laughs> Smile a little bit. Here we go. But I'm scared of complacency because I've seen this. I've seen that in my life, complacency, watch this, kills passion. Been there? Been there? Where's the passion? Man, my marriage has lost passion, right? Well, maybe you've been complacent with it. My church has lost passion. Maybe you've been complacent with it. Hey, my family group, my, my group that I do family with every day, my son, my daughter, my family, we've lost passion as a family. You've been complacent in it. Hey, my workplace have, has lost passion. You've been complacent in those areas. And I've recognized, again, this message is for me, right? I've recognized that complacency in my life kills the passion that God has called me to function in. And complacency does it. And it might be just like yours, my complacency. Maybe it's a little bit different, but it's caused me to live in this thing in which today I'm going to call it this, ready? I call it my comfort zone. It's my nest, my comfort zone. I built it, baby. Don't touch it. I built it. You know, I like living in my comfort zone. Can I tell you why I, Pastor Rigo, likes living in his comfort zone? Say yes for me. All right, good, because I'm going to say it anyway. I like living in my comfort zone. I just named a couple. Couldn't get too detailed because I know at the end of the day I still have to be a pastor. So watch this. Number one, in my comfort zone, there are no surprises. I don't like surprises. Ask my mom who's in the front row. Ask my wife who's in the back row. Probably the two ladies that know me the most. I don't like them. I try to find out what the surprise is. And I was like, I already know. You're having a surprise party, aren't you? We're going to go out to dinner, aren't we? And I, and I try to kill. I don't like surprises. Listen, in my nest of life, there's no surprises. I like to be home at a certain time. I like to be in bed. Now we got Jackson. I'm like, Jackson needs to be in bed at this time. And I say, can you relax? Let him, see, let him stay up. I say, I know, I know, I know, no, but it's 830. He needs to be in bed. And, and sometimes it's, I'm my worst enemy. It's, I need a smack. And Rigo, relax. Because my nest, my nest that I built, I don't want surprises. And then sometimes I'm okay with that. But man, God is a God of surprises. Like, man, if you just see the surprises I have for you. I'm talking about my comfort zone. I'm not saying that it's you guys. I don't want to ever talk about that to you guys. But one of the second things I like about my comfort zone is there's a protection. And in my comfort zone, there's a protection against hurt and pain. So I protect myself. I might, uh, sometimes I protect myself too much from people. And, and I protect myself too much from things. And, and it's because I don't want to experience hurt or I don't want to experience pain or I don't want to experience these things that I've seen other people experience or I've seen family members experience or maybe I've gone through. So what I like to do is I like to build myself this little comfort zone, this little nest that I call today. And, and, and I like for number one, no surprises. Number two, I want to be protected from hurt and pain. That's why I built this life that I live in. How many of you live like that? Okay, don't raise your hand. Watch this. Number three. I feel safe and I feel secure in my little nest. Number four, I don't have to worry about this thing that I fear. Ready? Watch this. Failure. I preached the whole message one time about don't fear failure. Listen, failure always. Quitting never. In your deepest failures comes your deepest growth. But yet, God, I know I'm going to fail if I step out. And I don't want to experience failure. Because you know why? I struggle with failure. Because 
maybe for the, my whole life, I've always felt like I was a failure. And the devil lies to me. You're a failure. You've always been a failure. And God's like, can you tell him to shut up already? You're not a failure. And I'm like, I don't know who to listen to. And God's like, me, more on me. I made you. I formed you. I placed you in your mother's womb. You're not a failure. Do you know the chances of you being born, what they were from the beginning, and you were still born out of all those different... They could have been born, but you were it. I'll stop there. And the truth is, in my comfort zone, in my nest, I don't have to worry about failure. Listen, this is all I got to worry about. Ready? I just got to maintain, continue to serve God the way I'm serving, and I'll get to heaven. And God's like, bullhorn, ah, wrong. That's not the life of a Christian. That's not the life of a Christian. But then again, that's just me. Welcome to my life. um, John Maxwell um, wrote this down one day. Look what he writes. Ready? To succeed in life, we must stay within our strength zone, but continually move outside our comfort zone. Isn't that awesome? I'll let that sink in for a second. That's a water break. Read it one more time to yourself. Write it down in your notes if you need to. As you read that quote from John Maxwell, maybe you might not remember when was the last time you experienced success. When was it? You're okay with how much you make, so why move up the ladder? You might like where your business is today, so why push even more to make it better? You might be fine with your walk with God, and you might feel like there really doesn't need any stretching or growth to take place. And, and you just say, well, I could just maintain and live the way I'm living and you might even come up to me and say, you know what, Pastor Rico, I know my strength zone, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll tell you amen. I'll give you a high five. But then you might say this after. But I'm okay with where I'm at in my comfort zone as long as I know my Christ. And I might be like, oh, but that's not what God's called us for. I'm going to share my second point. Ready? I'm not going to take too much time today, but watch this. My second point is this. If you're living this way, write this down in your notes. It means that you're fine with average. It means you're fine with average. We just had the Lord's Supper. We just talked about how Jesus was beaten, scourged, nails driven to his wrist. Okay? We just talked about how his, well, I did talk about it, talked about it in a meeting I had earlier, beard being ripped off his face, spear going through his side, mockery, laughter. They would kick him and punch him while he was falling on the floor from the cross. And the people would say, hey, if you know who it was, if you say you are the son of God, come on, prophesy and tell us who it is. And he wouldn't say a word. This, listen, listen, this is Jesus we're talking about, okay? He did all this stuff for you, for your name, for your life. Do you think that while he was going through that process, he says, I do this so that the people could live average that follow me? Like, do you really read the scriptures in the life of Christ and say, Christ does all these things so that I could be fine with average? And, and I want to write my second point today. It's this, ready? You are not average. And you are not called to stay and be average. How many people can say amen to that? You need to get your average up, okay? You're not okay batting 200. 
You need to get it up. You're a better ball player than that. You're not good shooting 35% from the field. You, you got to get that percentage up. You get what I'm trying to say? You're not good just coming to church on Sunday and opening up your Bible on Sunday and praying when someone passes away and doing a little corito whenever you feel sad. I'm telling you today, you're not okay with just driving by a homeless person who is filled with blood, aching for some food, and you say, oh, God, I hope you bless that person. That's an average person. A person who's not average is praying, is fasting, it's in the storehouse of God. It stops their cars, giving to the poor. Listen, I know you struggle with that because up here I struggle with that. You and I are not called to live and be average. And, and we see that it's so easy to become complacent. And I want you to write this down next under average. Ready? Complacency reduces us to be average. If you continue to live in your nest, you might just continue to be an average little eaglet. And do you believe that God has truly made you to be average? I'm going to go to a scripture with you because I think that's the best thing we could do today. And it's found in Psalm 139. I'm going to read the words of David. Amazing words that David writes here. I'm going to read right now this passage from the ESV translation. And as I read Psalm 139, I'm going to read 13, 14, 15, and 16, those four verses. And as I read those verses out loud and you follow along with me, I wrote this down in my notes. Watch what I wrote down. It's hard for me to believe and to see that I'm called to live average when I read what David writes. How many of you are ready? You know what to say. Say, say ready. Some of you guys said, that's not what you're supposed to say. Say ready. All right, here we go. Verse 13. Are you all in verse 13? I'll wait for you guys to get to verse. Give me an amen when you're there. Good, good. You guys are used to the screen, huh? Verse 13 says this. David. He says, for you formed me. Sorry. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Man. Verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. Look what he says. When I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when, I yet, when as yet there was none of them. When I read these scriptures of Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16, there is no way that any true believer could read this passage and come to the conclusion that Christ has called them to be average. There's no way. There's no way that I could read David's words there and say, how can I be average when he formed my inward parts? When he knitted me together in my mother's womb, knowing that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, knowing that he wonderful are his works, and my soul knows that very well, that my frame was not hidden, and I was made in the secret and intricately woven in the depths of this earth. Your eyes, Lord, they saw my unformed substance, and they were written in this book of my life, every one of them. And in the days that they formed me, you formed me, even when I was not even there yet. He, he had this sovereignty of who I already was before I, even, before I even was or before I ever was. 
You mean to tell me that there was a God that knew he was going to create me before I was ever even created, and yet while I was created, now I'm called to live average? Does it make sense? If it makes sense to you, I don't know. I'm not even going to say what I want to say. All right, so here we go. <laughs> the truth is, as you look at the day, at the, num- at the letters, the David, I wrote this down, that the longer we live in our comfort zone, the more likely we are to live complacent, the more likely we are to live average. Get out your nest because you are not called to live average. You're not. The Lord says to Joshua in Joshua 1.9, Hey, Josh, um, yes, Lord, Moses died. Yeah, I heard. He kind of passed me the mantle. What do I do now? He's like, you see the giants? Yeah, they're pretty big. Go take care of them. That land over there is yours. No, that's going to take a lot of work. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Listen. When God confronted Joshua, do you think that Joshua would have ever been able to conquer the land that God had promised Moses if Joshua would have continued to live in his nest? But he says, there's giants over there, but I've given you greater strength than those giants. I've given you the land that I've promised you. And look what he tells Joshua in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, this is my command, young man. I believe he said young man somewhere in there. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you what? Go. Joshua, I'm going to stir your nest. And as I stir your nest, flap your wings, go. And as you go, know that I will never cease being with you. I'm with you always. You're not average, Joshua. Listen, Moses and his generation, that people, they wanted to stay average. Moses was so frustrated because he knew that the potential that they had was to reach the destiny of the promised land. But since they loved living so average, that whole generation had to die off. But now, Joshua, I'm dealing with a Joshua generation that is not the same generation of Moses' generation. They were average, but you are beyond average. You want to see yourself succeed. You want to see your people come to the light. You want to see your people come to victory. You want to see people come to the land that was promised them, to the destiny that they are to fulfill with the potential that they have. So Joshua, ready? Go. He stirs up his nest. He stirs up his nest. How many of you are Joshua's that God is stirring your nest? And he's saying what? Go. Leave the nest. Go to where I've called you. Is that even biblical? It is. I just read it. And I'll prove it to you in the New Testament. The disciples were like, he's dead. And Peter's worried. Thomas, he's dead. And Thomas is like, I know. And Bartholomew's there, he's dead. And, and everyone's worried about Jesus is dead. Our leader is dead. They killed him. He's dead. He's dead. And then Mary and Martha come running in. He's, he's not only dead, but he's no longer in the grave. And now you can see Peter and them. Oh, my God, he's dead and missing. And, and they're just a mess. They're, a, they're stressed out, bro. I just said, bro. That's pretty cool. They're so... <laughs> My wife's going to rebuke me for that. Now I get into the car and she says, you got to stop saying bro when you're in the thing. You're preaching to older people too. Sorry, older people. But I want you to know, bro, that God loves you. All right, here we go. <laughs> Let me go back to the word of God. 
uh, those that desire to preach the word of God, when they learn from my mistakes, stay on the text, man. All right, here we go. So his disciples are all worried, and they're all freaking out. Not only is he dead, but he's missing. Jesus appears to them, right? Do you want to know what Jesus' last command was to the disciples? Watch this. Hey, go baptize people, right, of all nations, baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, know that I'm, all those things, right? But watch what he says in verse 20 of Matthew 28. Ready, ready? Um, disciples, know that I am with you always, even to the end of age. Jesus tells the disciples the same thing that God tells Joshua. Hey, I'm with you always. And I'll never stop being with you. And, and I want to ask you guys this, ready? Have you found yourself right here where you've made a home, your comfort zone? Listen, you once lived in passion. You once shared the gospel with so many people. Come on, I know I'm talking to some of you guys. You used to serve. Remember the days that you used to serve? You were the first one in, first one out. I'm not even telling you to be that person again. But you remember when, when you used to serve. You used to share with everyone. Okay? And you were this person. You used, to, you used to be a patient person. And where has your patience gone? Maybe you used to pray. And you used to pray a lot. And, and maybe you used to even pray for people. You remember that passion when you once had a desire for his word. And you constantly were in his word and starting. And you would cry. Remember those days? That you would actually read this and actually weep when you would read it and begin to pray and repent. I don't know if any of you guys remember those days. But it can be so many different things that... That might have been there, this passion that was there, but now it's all changed. How many of you, that passion has just changed, just dwindled away? And the passion that you were once filled with has been taken over, and now you're too occupied with complacency. And listen, you might just be saying, well, I'm fine. I'm fine with just being average, but I want you to know that though you might say you're fine, you know yourself deep down inside. Listen, are you really fine? Are you really fine living outside of the potential that God's given you, knowing that you have a greater potential in you, and you have not flapped your wings yet in it, and you've stayed ignorant and stuck in this nest? He says, I'm not going to flap my wings anymore. Let me tell you why. Because the last time I flapped it, people spoke bad about me. Because the last time the church took advantage of me. Because the last time those people didn't deserve it. And you've had bad experiences, and you've weeped over those bad experiences because of days that you used to flap your wings, and there were some people with scissors cutting you every time you flapped your wings. And because of that, now you live in a life that your passion has been dulled and complacency has become your best friend and all you do is blame everyone else and all the errors in your life and I want you to know this your passion is not defined by what people do to you the passion is defined by the God that loves you man someone write that down that was a sad clap for Jesus man all right here we go but that's the truth and that's the absolute truth and I want you to know this today, because maybe deep down inside you're not fine. Maybe you long again, and you belong to, to return to the state of passion that you were once in. You remember that passion? The one that led you to do things that only a faith-filled, passionate person would do? You remember those crazy days when you would call someone early in the morning and say, I don't know what it was, but God woke me up at night, and I started praying for you. Is everything okay? Can I pray for you? When was the last time you did that for someone? Remember the days when you used to come over here and pour out your heart in this building? What happened to that passion? It doesn't even have to be about ministry. It could be about something else that God's called you to that's for his glory. Remember when you had passion for those things? That own little private ministry that you have? 
And you've lost that passion, but you know deep down inside that's what you want. You want to return back to that state of passion. I want to return, Lord, back to that faith-filled, passionate person. I want to do those great things again for you. How many of you want that today? So Jesus is walking, right? And as he's walking, Luke chapter 9 gives us an amazing story. And I'm going to read verses 57 to 62. And as he's walking, he's doing some amazing things. Hey, listen. He grabs over 5,000 people and he feeds them with five loaves of bread and two fish. Pretty awesome. And then there was 12 baskets still filled to take home. When's the last time you've done that? Probably never. And because of that, I'm going to follow the guy that does that. So he has all these people, right? They're coming after him. And as they come after him, guess what they want? They say this, ready? We want to follow you. We want to be just like you and your, and your boys here, your band of brothers. Look at what Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62 says. I'm going to read from a way different translation, but I'm going to read to it, in it, that translation, because I want you to see where their excuses and how it can relate to us. Watch this. So on the road, someone asked Jesus if he could go along with Jesus. May I follow you? And he said this to Jesus. I'll go with you wherever you go, he said. And Jesus was curt. I'm going to translate that. Ready? Jesus was straight up. Bro. All right. (laughs) Jesus was straight up. Today's message, I I should... change it so don't change it but i should change it to bro leave your nest all right here you go all right here we go jesus was straight up with them and look what he says are you ready to rough it to rough it out we're not staying in the best inns you know the son of man has no place to lay his head you know that right so jesus said to someone else come on follow me so then he comes to jesus certainly but First, excuse me for a couple days, Lord, he tells him. Please, let me just be excused. And look what he says. I have to make arrangements. My father passed away, and I got to make arrangements for his funeral. So Jesus refused, and he said, first things first, buddy. doesn't say that, but your business is life, not death. And life is urgent, so announce God's kingdom. That's what you're called for now. So then another one said, Lord, I know those two guys stunk it up, but pick me. Pick me. You ever been there? Remember those days? Pick me. And he says, I'm ready to follow you, Lord. I'm ready to follow you, Master. But then look what he says right after he says, I'm ready to follow you. How many of you have done this? Lord, I'm ready to go all in. But first, God's like, oh, I thought you were there. You're not ready. How many of you live like that, right? Oh, God, I'm ready. But first, give me my husband. Are you serious? You want a husband before you serve God? You want a wife before you serve God? You want a job before you serve God? I'll tell you something even better. Serve God and watch all things come into place. And, then, and here, here's this person, and they're like, Lord, I'm ready to go all in. And Jesus is like, finally. And then he's like, no, no, but. And like, no, there's no buts in serving me. He's like, yes, but I have a good excuse. And I'm not saying that your excuse is a bad excuse. Some of you have some amazing excuses. They're better than any excuse that I would ever come up with. God is very loving in your excuse. But I want you to know something. That good excuses are never good if they are not fulfilling God's will in your life. Every good excuse that draws you away from the perfect will of God is always a bad excuse. And and, and here's this person. And he says, Lord, I'm ready to follow you. Watch what he says. I'm ready. But first, excuse me, the wife's acting up. I got to straighten things at home. <laughs> and Jesus says to him, no, pras- no procrastination. 
No one looks back. No one looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. No looking backwards. You can't put God's kingdom off to what? Do you want to know why you can't put God's kingdom off to tomorrow? Because there are people that you're going to run into today that you might not see tomorrow, and they need the kingdom. They need Jesus now, and you need to give it to them now. And he says this. He says, don't go back. You can't put it off till tomorrow. And then what does he say next? He says, seize the day. The reason I read from this was because of these excuses. And we might have excuses for for these good things, just like I said, but they're never good. If they prevent us from following God. And I realize how excuses, and maybe some of you could say, amen, I agree with you, Pastor Rigo. and And if you don't, forgive me, but I truly believe this with all my heart. Ready? I realize how excuses were made by us to keep us safe. How many of you can say, I relate to that? I want to be safe and sound in my little world, and I need to build excuses to keep me safe. I, I was, like I just said, hurt before, so I'll never. I was, uh, I was misused before, so I will never. I was lied to before, so I will never. I was my first marriage, so I will never marry. My first ministry, and I will never do ministry again. My first outreach, and I will never outreach again. My first, and I will ne- And how many of you live like that? And we make excuses... And they build up this life of complacency. And I want to live outside of my comfort zone nest, out of my complacencies. I'm going to be ready to end like in five minutes as we get ready to wrap this up. Not ready yet, but as we get ready. Pastor Javier Acosta from The Way had no idea what I was going to preach on this week because I haven't talked to him this week until we had a meeting yesterday. But he preached this during the week. And he he wrote this down on his Twitter feed. He says, every call out of your comfort zone may not be a walk, it may not be to walk on water, but every call will bring you closer to him. I jumped up. I was like, I'm preaching that. I wonder if he's preaching that at his church, but I recognize that I'm called to be outside of my comfort zone. Not because I want to heal the sick or Not because I want to walk on water. Not because I want these great exploits. Watch this. I want to get out of my nest, out of my comfort zone. The true and main reason is because of this. Ready? Because I just want to be closer to God. And the way that you feel God the most is when you're outside of your complacency, outside of your comfort zone. Can I urge you to do something? Leave the nest. Leave the nest. And watch how God shows up. See, outside of my comfort, outside of my complacentness, watch what I wrote down. Ready? I know there are things bigger than me and places larger than I could ever grasp and take on. I know that, me personally. Number two, outside of my comfort, I know, like I said, there's hurt, there's pain, and that's waiting for me. I'm going to repeat myself. Number three, I know that moments of failure, like I said earlier, are calling my name. Number four, but watch what I write now. But I know that right then and there is where my faith is built stronger, outside of my nest. I know that outside of my nest is where deeper intimacy with God is found. How many of you could say amen? Amen. I know that outside of my comfort nest, I know that there are excuses. And these excuses outside of my nest, God doesn't want them. Like he doesn't want them in Luke chapter 9. And these excuses get thrown away like these unwanted crutches that people like to carry just in case I ever need them again. How many of you guys have crutches in your homes, not real crutches, you know what they are personally, that you have them stored just in case it ever happens again? Can I tell you something? Get rid of those personal crutches in your life. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, you don't need to go back to that 
that nest. You don't need to go back to those crutches. Flap your wings. Fulfill your destiny and watch God manifest his glory in your life. But no, don't ever ask me to take away these things. And the last one outside of my comfort zone is where I know I am safe in Christ's zone, where true safety is found, in Christ's zone. Outside of my nest is when I'm fully in his nest. Our freedom, you can write this down, is not found in our nest. And I'm going to ask the, the worship to come up real quick. Our freedom is not found in our nest. Write this. Our freedom is when we get radically pushed out and live in God's will. Soaring, flying, reaching our potential, aiming persistently at our destiny. How many of you could say amen to that? I'm going to say it one more time. Our freedom is not found, because I wrote that and I was actually pretty, I was like, I can't believe I wrote a sentence like that. If you knew me, you would understand why. Because God uses the foolish things to bring to shame the things that are wise. Amen? So I'm very proud what God used me to write down. So I'm going to read it one more time. Our freedom is not found in our nest. Our freedom is when we get radically pushed out and live in God's will. Soaring, flying, reaching our potential, aiming persistently at our destiny. If we can just recognize our complacency today, and that we're not called to be average. In a radical way, if we can just be pushed out of our comfort nest, and if we could just begin to discern what is good and evil, can I, can I say something? Church, church, what would stop us? What would stop you? I don't know how many people are, are here right now gathered, but can you imagine if just a flock of people right here, right here, say, I know I'm complacent, I'm not called to be average, so watch this. I want to be pushed out. I want to soar. I want to reach maturity. Ready? I want to become skilled in your righteous word. I want to begin to discern what is good and evil. Lord, I know that when I function in that maturity and flap my wings, I know that what is going to stop me is not very much. I love what George MacDonald wrote. He says, all growth that is not toward God is growing to decay. That's powerful. What are you growing towards? It's got to be towards God. So what do I leave and end my message with today? It's this. Find your strength zone. It is so important that you find your strength. And that's Christ. Do you recognize that Paul lived outside of his comfort zone? Don't get lost on me. I'm almost wrapping this up. Paul was, he found the ability to, to reach his potential. And he never bowed down to average. He never rested in complacency, Paul. If you study the life of Paul, the Lord took Paul out of his nest. And he, he did things that he would have never imagined to do. For example, the Lord took him to places he would have never imagined. The Lord caused him to speak before people he would have never imagined. And the Lord caused Paul to do works that Paul would have never imagined. Just catch me for a second. In Philippians 4, he recognizes that. So he begins to write to the church of Philippi. 
And he shares this. He says, I have no need. How cool is that? I have no need. You know when Paul wrote this, he was sick. It was killing him, his sickness. People don't know what it was. It was something internal, some sort of eye disease. But health-wise, Paul was a mess. Did you know that prior to writing this, they killed Paul and they dragged him out of the city? And God revived him and he walked away and preached the gospel to another city? And yet, while Paul was living such a life, he writes in Philippians 4, I have no need. Paul, have you read your other letters? You have a lot of needs, Paul. But to the church of Philippi, he says, nah, no needs here. And then he says this, I'm content with whatever I have. I know how to live with almost nothing and I know how to live with everything. And then watch what he says next, ready? He says, I have learned the secret. People waste money to find out what the secret is. People go to groups to find out what the secret is. People get with other people to talk about what the secret is. And they don't recognize that Paul already said, I found the secret that you're looking for. It's not in the millions of dollars. It's not in the arena-filled room of the millionaire that is speaking to you. The secret is not filled in that book that is probably even called the secret. But Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says, the secret that I have found is this. That in every situation... Whether my stomach is full or it's empty, whether I have little or plenty, the secret is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret, church. The secret is Philippians 4.13, and Paul says it. Stop looking for the secret. Stop going to the left and stop going to the right and stop going backwards. Lot's wife turned into Saul because she went backwards. The people of Moses, they never made it because they went backwards. Every person that has gone left, right, or backwards has never seen their potential be fulfilled. They never walked into their destiny. So here's the secret. Here it is. You, church, can do all things in Jesus Christ who strengthens you. That's the secret. I just saved you so much money. So much reading, so much traveling. Paul says the secret is in Jesus, and in Him there is strength. In Him you can do it, church. Notice you can't do it on your own, but notice you can do it in Jesus Christ who calls you His own. Man, He calls you His own. There are no words. I mean, when you look at these words right here, this is a, a passage of a believer who lives outside of a nest. They're not being held back by complacent living. They're not satisfied with how things are. There are people that want to make things better. I don't want this church to stay like this. When we celebrate 10 years, I pray that we could just flush these first five years out and say, have you seen where we are today? How did we get there? Because in Christ Jesus, there are greater things. It's better with Jesus. And when you do it together with Jesus, it's better for you. It's better for the group. It's better for the family. This person right here, it's a voice of one who has passion. And Paul had that. 
He no longer wanted to be constrained by the environment that he built from living defeated or scared or embarrassed or as a failure. I'm tired of living like that. How many of you are tired of that? I'm tired of being embarrassed. I'm tired of being defeated. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of being a failure. I want this right here. I want the voice of one who has found strength, who has found it, his strength zone, and has moved out of their comfort zone. Who would have thought that the good old President Jimmy Carter once said this, I hate to see complacency prevail in our lives when it's so directly contrary to the teachings of Christ. Listen, in Matthew and Mark and Luke in these Gospels, Jesus' words are recorded and recorded and recorded. You want to know what they are? To his followers, to his disciples. He says this, ready? Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and finally what? Let him follow me. So I end with this. Is Christ stirring your nest? Do you desire? Do you long to follow? To have a passion once more? To soar again. How many of you long to walk away from average? To find your strength again in Jesus? I do, Lord. So here it is. He says this, then deny yourself. What do you mean? Deny your nest. Leave the nest. Church, this is radical, but get pushed out today. Fly, reach your potential. Go forward towards your destiny. And how does he say it? He says, follow me. If you could stand with me today. If this is you today. And you're saying, Christ, I found the secret, it's you. I don't need to search. I don't need to look. My answer is found in Jesus. My hope is found in you. And I'm willing to flap my wings. Thank you for stirring my nest today. And today, Lord God, I just want to go and I want to go with the potential that I have that you've given me to reach the destiny that you have for me. Give me the grace, Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. And I'm scared to even imagine how many people this message is for, but if that's you right now, can you let God touch you? As we worship, we're going we're gonna to close off in prayer, but if that's you, can, can you begin to surrender it to your God? And can you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to take a step forward. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to flap my wings. I'm not called to be average. I'm called to be better. I'm leaving my nest today. I'm walking out today. I'm going to do this in you. Right there where you're at, begin to cry that out. Let that miracle happen between you and God. Right now where you're standing.